I don't want to do a lot of preliminaries. I want to get right into um, what I know the, that the Lord has for us tonight. Take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And I want to talk to you tonight about consuming fire. Consuming fire. The Lord reveals himself in many different ways throughout Scripture. One of the predominant ways he does is fire. And we see this evidence in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number 28. We'll get right in. Everybody there? You ready? If not, it's on the screen. It says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. Everybody say reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. For our God is a consuming fire. Do you realize that God is never through with you? He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be, right? He's never through with you. God is never finished. He never reaches a point where he says you're holy enough, you're spiritual enough, you're disciplined enough, you're cleansed enough, you're purified enough. So his fire is never finished in your life. God's determination for your life and mine is not just to touch us, but to consume us with his fire. And we're going to get into that. But why? Why is God so desirous to consume us with his presence? Well, the writer of Hebrews was not just arbitrarily saying God's a consuming fire because he's actually reaching back into the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 4. And it's not on your screen, but you can jot it down. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, 24, it says, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Now, when we hear the word jealous, does that bring like warm fuzzies or cold fuzzies? That's a word we typically associate with something bad, right? We don't want to be jealous. But there is a holy jealousy. And God has a holy jealousy to fully possess and consume that which belongs to him. Do you know you belong to him? Do you know the word teaches us that when we were born again, that we were bought with a price, that we no longer retain any rights any longer of our lives, but now he owns us? Maybe you grew up in church, and who remembers the little song, This Little Light of Mine? I feel like I'm in a second childhood. All these little kids' songs are coming to mind. It's the simplicity of the gospel. Remember, there's a flag flown high from the castle of my heart. Can we do it? From the castle of my heart. From the castle of my heart. Remember that part? For the king is in residence there. For the king is in residence in your heart. Do you believe that? God is there and God is a consuming fire inside of you. God and fire are inseparable. Fire has always been a symbol of the divine presence and power of God historically. We see it all through scripture, but one case you probably will remember quickly is in Exodus chapter 40. Remember? Verse 38, so the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day and what? And fire was in the cloud by night. 
in the sight of all the Israelites during all their travels. In other words, the Lord led his people with fire. But can I tell you something? If anyone can see fire, but it's not just enough to see fire, you need to receive fire for it to change you. You hear that? It's the opening of our heart to the inward, sanctifying, cleansing, purging fire of God's presence that makes you a vessel fit to carry his presence. It's the fire inside of us. Not just enough to see, not just to be warmed by the fire. You gotta get in the fire or let the fire get inside of you. There was an occasion when John the Baptist in Luke chapter three, when he begins to teach the people, he said, listen, I baptize you with water, but somebody is coming after me whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie, and he will, who can finish the verse, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and, and fire, and fire. So who is the baptizer in fire? Who does that? Jesus. Who is Jesus gonna send to do it? The Holy Spirit. Jesus says, better that I go away because I am going to what? Send the Holy Spirit who will come and who will baptize you and fill you with the fire of God. Now, what does that mean? You see, it's not what we say about God that changes lives. It's the quantity and quality of the presence and the character of God that is manifested through our lives. Now, think about it for a second. Everything you do in life, everything you say, all your character traits, all your behavior, how you talk, you are manifesting or you are demonstrating one of three kingdoms. There is the kingdom of darkness, there's the kingdom of light, and there really is the kingdom of self. Now, some people like to say, well, there's really only God and Satan. Well, that's not really true, is it? Because there are three basic entities. God will always be God, won't he? Satan will always be Satan until the end when he's, when he's destroyed. And then we will always be ourselves. So at any time in your life, when you're talking and you're speaking to your wife or at work, you are manifesting one of those three kingdoms. Either the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of light, the kingdom of Jesus, or the kingdom of yourself. One of these things. What are you manifesting? I bet most of us know when we're manifesting the flesh sometimes. Some of us know when we're manifesting the kingdom of darkness. And we know when we're manifesting the kingdom of light. We know when we are speaking words of life to other people. But the light of God and the fire of God must be inside us. Let me say it another way. You have to be infected before you can infect someone else. Does that make sense? Now you can talk about a virus or a disease or how contagious it is, but only hearing about it will never really infect you, will it? Only when you become infected by something are you able to infect somebody else. In other words, there is an infectiousness that comes in the fire of God in your life. When you are on fire for him, what happens to people around you? They are going to experience the fire of God. It's not just enough to know about it. It's not just enough to see it from a distance. It's not just enough to be strangely warmed by it, but you must have it burning inside of you in the fire of God. And we're going to make that really practical here in a few minutes. So here's an example in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We had this guy by the name of the Apostle Paul, and he's writing a letter to the church at Corinth. Now, you know Paul was pretty smart. You understand that, right? He was brilliant, highly educated, 
cerebral, smart, could articulate the Jewish faith quite well. But in this moment, as he is addressing the Corinthian church, I want you to see what he says. He says, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. You get that? Now, this was a man who could entice people with his words. This was a man who was able to do that very well. In fact, you can study in the book of Acts, in particularly Acts chapter 17, Paul was ministering in Athens, Greece. Remember the story? And he was talking to the Greek philosophers of that day. And he was reasoning with them. Remember the story, right? He's reasoning with them. He says, oh, I see you are very religious people, but I see you have an altar to an unknown God. Let me tell you who that unknown God was. And he begins to present to them the gospel. And that story concludes with the philosopher saying, hmm, it gave us much to think about. A church was never established in Athens. I think Paul, maybe reading between the lines a bit, maybe learned a lesson in Athens. He was using what? Enticing words of man's wisdom. So shortly after that, he begins to plant the church in Corinth. Now he's writing to them and saying, you know what, I'm realizing here that wisdom and man's wisdom and eloquence isn't gonna work, but this is what works. But I come to you in the what? The demonstration of the spirit and of power. That your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. You see, what the fire of God will do in your life, it will come forth out of you, not in man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of power. We don't need more information. We need revelation that comes through our knowledge and experience with King Jesus. You're not going to ever lead somebody to Christ through their head. All right? Now, the head's important, but you lead them through their heart. The fire of God wants to come into our life and make us literally ministers of fire. So what are the intentions of God with his fire in our life? Isaiah chapter 4 and verse number 4, and I want you to hear this. Isaiah 4 verse 4. The Lord will wash away the filth of the women of Zion. He will cleanse the bloodstains from Jerusalem. Do you see this? By a spirit of judgment and a spirit of fire. Then the Lord will create over all Mount Zion and over those who assemble there a cloud of smoke by day and a glow of flaming fire by night. Over everything, the glory will be a canopy. Isn't that cool? This is what God is doing through the fire of his presence that makes a habitation for his glory. Can I tell you something? Fire will always precede glory. Now, that's going to make sense in a moment. Fire precedes glory. Fire changes the landscape and makes it a habitation for the glory of God. Now, there, are, there is a threefold operation, I believe, of the fire of God concerning our lives. Now, it's fixing to get very practical and very real. There's a threefold operation of the fire of God concerning our lives. The first one is a fire to you. The second one, a fire in you. And the third one, a fire through you. A fire to you, a fire in you, and a fire through you. God comes as a consuming fire. And this is how it looks. The first one, a fire to you. Aspects of how God brings fire to us. Oftentimes in your life, fire can come in the form 
of judgment and affliction. Judgment and affliction. We always say, oh, I want the fire of God. Well, sometimes be careful what you pray for, right? Lord, I want your fire. Do you really? How many of you enjoys grabbing a hold of a flame? Doesn't really feel so good, does it? Oh, we love the fire of God. Do you really? Fire is painful. Fire is transformative. Fire does indeed change the landscape to prepare what God desires to build as a habitation for his glory. God will bring fire to you to change the landscape of your life in order that you can be a true glory carrier, that you can carry God's presence. You see, many of us want to carry God's glory in God's presence, but we don't want the fire of God to do the preparatory work that's required for us to carry God's presence. In other words, we, we, want, we don't want to pay the price. We like easy street, don't we? We don't want to go to the gym and exercise. We want to take dream away. Just take one pill every night and you can dream away your fat. That's, that's the lifestyle we're accustomed to, but that's not how God does his presence. In other words, if you want the presence of God, it's his presence, his way. Not his presence, your way. Not his presence, my way. God has a way of doing things. In other words, the mark of maturity. How do you know when you're able to say, I'm gaining some spiritual maturity? It has nothing to do with how many gifts of the Spirit you operate in. It doesn't matter if you speak in tongues or don't speak in tongues. If you speak in tongues 20 hours a day, that does not any way indicate your spiritual maturity or any gift of the Spirit. You know what a true mark of spiritual maturity is in your life? Is when you can begin to filter the situations and circumstances of your life through the lens of this question, God, what are you doing in my life? That everything that happens to you, every circumstance, every situation is filtered through the lens of that question. Lord, what are you doing in my life right now? That, my friends, is the beginning of spiritual maturity. When you begin to grab a hold of what I just told you, it will fundamentally change your life. When you begin to see everything that happens to you, Lord, what are you doing? Do you believe God is working through everything? So see, when you get this revelation, then you can fulfill what the Bible asks us to do in 1 Thessalonians, to give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus, for what? For you and for me. How is it we, you and me, are able to give thanks in how many circumstances? All circumstances. How many of you have some bad circumstances? Some bad situations. Some things you wish you weren't going through. But yet we have this injunction in Scripture that says give thanks to God in all circumstances. This is the will of God for you. That can only happen when you begin to perceive every circumstance in your life through the lens of the question, Lord, what are you doing in this, in me and in us and, and in my family? And it gives you pause to recognize, Lord, perhaps you are visiting some fire in my life to do something. Now, there are three ways that this can come to us, maybe more, but we talk about them in terms of temptation, trials, and testings. Temptations, trials, and testings. Have you ever been through any temptations? Trials and testings. These are the things that can come to us and present themselves to our life. 
temptations. Temptations come from Satan and are there to destroy you. The word clearly teaches us that when you are being tempted, who is not tempting you? God. God will never tempt you with evil. The word is clear on that. Satan is doing that. So temptations come from the enemy. But there are more things than just temptations. There are these things called trials. Who's ever been through a trial? What's the purpose of a trial? A trial comes from the Lord and they are there to produce endurance in your life. When you're going through a difficult circumstance or a difficult trial, what is it perfecting in you? Endurance. How many of you enjoy trials? I don't enjoy trials. But Jesus said in this world you will have trials. Now is that a promise? Can I tell you something? When you go by, by your little pretty Bible promise book, I'll guarantee you that promise isn't in there. Because they're all full of the nice rosy promises. I'm going to write a Bible promise book on these kind of promises. In this world, you have trials and tribulations. You have difficulty. They're going to hate you. They're going to deliver you amongst kings. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be killed. You're going to be dishonored. Oh, hallelujah. Isn't it interesting how we always like to cherry pick through scripture and not embrace the entirety of what the gospel says? One of the great challenges in the Western church today is we have altered Jesus to market him to a hedonistic world and a self-centered world. We've marketed Jesus to such a degree that this is, oh, you need, this is what he can do for you. Like an insurance policy or a, or a nice vacation home or a nice massage, a day at the spa, Chateau Alain. Come to Jesus and this is what he's going to do for you. Can I tell you something? Jesus never tried to draw a crowd. Jesus never tried to gather everybody through telling them what they wanted to hear. On one occasion, everybody was just leaving. And he told his disciples, you just want to go and leave with them too? We don't have to market Jesus. Jesus' words are not always easy to hear. You're here on a Wednesday night. Oh, I wouldn't have come if I was going to get this kind of encouragement. In this world, you will have trials. Why? Because God is perfecting something in you that can only come through a trial. Would well, you think endurance is a virtue? Is endurance a virtue? It doesn't fall off a tree, right? It comes through trials. Trials come from the Lord and are there to produce endurance in your life. What about the testings? Do you think the Lord tests? Testings. They come from the Lord to reveal something about you to you. This is what a test is. A test will come to reveal, right? To reveal something about you to yourself. Do you think you need things revealed to you about you? That's called revelation. That's called, oh my goodness. Someone once said that character is what you are in the dark. These things called character and integrity. These things when the Lord will give us opportunities, when we have an expense report in front of us and, you know, maybe I can just round some dollar signs up. But it really becomes very real to us to reveal ourselves to ourselves. Those are tests. Now with those things in mind, check out 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 12. 
It says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery what? Ordeal. Well, there's that fire word again. This is going to make you really think twice before you start quoting, oh, God is a consuming fire. <laughs> because sometimes God comes to us in a fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. In other words, don't find it strange when you find yourself in a fiery ordeal. One of my great problems that exist within Christendom today and certain theologies that we talk about called the prosperity gospel is it twists the gospel to such a manner to make us think that if we are not walking in just financial blessing, health blessing, house blessing, car blessing all the time, there's something wrong with our faith. It's God's intention that we all be filthy rich and have lots of nice things. Is there anything wrong with being filthy rich and having nice things? No. But it seems to me that's kind of contrary to this scripture. That fiery ordeals will come. But it says rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. This is not popular preaching, is it? Paul said, Lord, I want to know you. Who wants to know God? I want to know him. Lord, I want to know you in the power of your resurrection. Now, man, that'll get you jumping and shouting and raising your hand and foaming at the mouth. Woo, that's so exciting. But sometimes we put periods where God puts commas. We don't keep reading. Lord, I want to know you in the power of your resurrection and the fellowship of your suffering. Now, this was a man who had some level of spiritual maturity. Would you think the Apostle Paul had a level of spiritual maturity in his life. I think he was. He was a man who could rejoice in all circumstances. He got that. Because he recognized when you're going through a trial or you are suffering, it's doing something in you to perfect you. The fire of God is in you to do what? To change the landscape of your life to make you a better what? Glory carrier of his presence. One of the things that grates me worse than anything else is a gospel that is presented with the absence of any form of cost. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the great German theologian, would write a book called The Cost of Discipleship. If you're looking for some nice nighttime reading, I encourage you to read it. It's the cost of discipleship that when you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost me something. If we present a gospel to a lost and dying world and we don't present that peace, we are lying to them and we are presenting a false gospel. That if we tell Jesus, you know, Lord, I want to serve you and I want to preach your gospel, he says, well, you need to tell him the whole truth. That to follow me, you must take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. That's the nature of the gospel. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Has anybody walked with Jesus long enough? Has anybody went through some temptations and some trials and some testings long enough to allow the fire of God to do things in you where you've experienced and tasted his glory? Is his glory worth it? Taste and see the Lord is 
good and it is worth it. Anything we have to lay down, what we're picking up is far greater, far more fulfilling, far more good. You see, God's not against us. He's for us and he knows exactly what we need. Because when you begin to heat something up, when a, when a fiery ordeal, when you find yourself in the midst of a fiery ordeal and you have trained your gray matter to interpret that fiery ordeal through the lens of, Lord, what are you doing? You're asking yourself some important questions. So, Lord, what are you doing in my life? Because, you know, when you heat something up, it becomes pliable. How many of you are scientists? Robert, you're a scientist. It's called the kinetic theory of matter. Who's ever heard of the kinetic theory of matter? So all matter, what is matter? Everything, right? All matter is made up of atoms and molecules that are constantly moving. Now when you begin to add heat to matter, you add heat to the substance, the molecules and the atoms, they begin to vibrate. And as they begin to vibrate, they vibrate faster. And as, I, and as atoms vibrate faster, they begin to spread apart. In other words, more space is created. What does that mean? That means you can bend something and you can mold something. Ever watch these guys, they're making swords and they're, you know, in the forge and they're heating these things up, they're heating this iron up. And what happens when you begin to heat it up? It's bendable, that you can mold it and shape it and how you want. In other words, heat and fire is required for shaping. Now, this is why in our lives that moments of crisis and difficulty can usher in such dramatic opportunity for change. You see? In other words, when the, when the fire comes in your life, when you're going through a fiery ordeal, the atoms and the molecular structure of your spiritual life begin to vibrate, space is created, and you are able to be formed and shaped by the hands of a great potter, you see? How many of you have been shaped and changed through crisis and fiery ordeals? It's what God is doing. You see this throughout scripture, you see it in your own life, you see it in others' lives. One great example would be the prodigal son. We all know the story, don't we? He's living a great life, having fun, footloose and fancy free, and he ends up eating with the pigs. He's in this fiery ordeal and he's struggling. And what happens in the midst of this fiery ordeal, this affliction, this judgment, whatever it is, comes, he what? He comes to his senses. His heart begins to be shaped and he begins to make his way back to his father's house. This is the fire of God that comes to you to change you and to mold you. If you could leave her tonight with one great truth, it would be that the fire that comes to you, the fiery ordeals. Lord, what are you doing? What are you doing? Sometimes that prayer comes in tears and in crying and in gut-wrenching pain. But those that endure it, those that allow that fiery ordeal to shape them, it will change the landscape of your life and you will experience more of his presence and more glory than you can possibly imagine. That's the fire that he brings to you. Now, two more points won't go nearly as long as the first one. But then it's the fire in you. What's the fire of God doing in you? He's purging, he's cleansing, he's sanctifying. He's burning up the clutter, the excesses, the selfishness, the sin, the habits, the addictions, the attitudes. He's changing the landscape inside. Now, what does fire need? What, is, what, is the, what does fire need? 
Fire requires fuel. So in order to keep the fire going, you gotta feed the fire. Now, many of us have very little of the fire of God in our life because we're not feeding the fire. Whose responsibility is it to feed the fire? Now, here's the good news. You are not the creator of the fire. God puts the fire in you. Another mark of maturity is understanding your part and understanding God's part. That's a prayer I pray quite often. I said, Lord, help me in my life to understand what my job is and understand what your job is. Because I find myself, if I start doing God's job, I get into trouble really quick. Or if I expect God to do something that I should be doing, I'm in equal amount of trouble and problem. I have a responsibility and God has a responsibility. And generally speaking, God always fulfills his end of the deal, right? In other words, God puts the fire in you, but just like in the time of old when the Levites had to keep the, keep the fire burning, you gotta put wood on the fire. How is it, are you able to put, what is the fuel? Go ahead, anybody have any idea? How do you, how do you, how do you stoke the fire of God in your life? Yeah, we all know these I-N-G words, don't we? Praying, fasting, studying, serving, fellowshipping. These are all the spiritual disciplines that scripture teaches us to do to stoke the fire of God in our life. Now don't confuse these with fire themselves. They are not fire themselves. We're not gonna build religious camps over each one, but when you begin to pray and you begin to talk to the Father, what's happening to the fire of God in your life? You're putting a wood on it. You're going to your fire and you're putting a wood, a little bit of wood on it. What happens when you begin to fast? Oh, then you're doing some serious wood on your fire then. What happens when you begin to ingest the word of God? You're stoking the fire. What happens when you begin to serve and to lay your life down, to give up certain conveniences for somebody else? You're stoking the fire of God. What happens when you begin to come here on a Wednesday night? What, what's, you know, what's happening right now? We've worshiped, you're, you're, you're stoking the fire of God in your life. In other words, many of us walk around and we're just a little flicker. And we're not being influenced by the fire so much. But the more the fire is raging, the more you are influenced by it, the more of the glory of God you will carry. <laughs> and the aroma of Christ will be strong inside of you. Amen? That's why we pray. That's why we fast. That's why we study. That's why we're serving. That's why we fellowship. It's stoking the fire of God in our life. Can I tell you something else? I'm just going to rant a bit. <laughs> 99.9% of the Christian life is obedience. It really is. It's just obedience. It's just, Lord, I'm gonna do what you've called me to do. Don't look for an emotion. Thank God when they come. But 99.9% .9 is just obedience and doing the will of God. When you begin just simply doing it, then God always does his part. Now, the fire of God in us is going to affect certain things in us. And this is what's going to get really, really real for us in the next few minutes. What was the first body part that was affected on the day of Pentecost? Oh, isn't that interesting? Oh, it was the tongue, right? They all spoke in tongues as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance. It's interesting that the Holy Spirit, the fire of God, goes after our tongue. What do we do with our tongue mostly? We speak with it. In fact, if you cut your tongue out, you're gonna sound kind of funny. I mean, your, your tongue 
is used to form the words that you say. Your tongue is instrumental in that. James chapter 3, I love the book of James. James is such a great book. James kind of steps on the scene, man, and begins to deliver just kind of a, ooh, that's tough. James 3 says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire. A world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. A lot of fire in that word, isn't it? So I've thought this through a little bit. You know, firefighters out in the West, there's a large forest fire. Do you know how they will typically combat a large forest fire? They will light another fire. You know what controls fire better than anything else? Fire. You want to control fire? You light another fire. And you make sure that is stronger and more powerful. In other words, what, con what controls this fiery thing that does so much damage? How many of you have ever done damage with your words? Oh, man. How many have ever experienced words that's done damage to you? Oh, yes. The Holy Spirit the fire of God, one of the first body parts he wants to consume is your tongue. What body part did God use when he spoke the world into creation? He spoke, right? It was his words have creative power in them. Proverbs 18, 21, the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. Mark 7, 15. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. Isn't it interesting that we all get concerned about what's going to go into us is going to defile us, but what really defiles us? What comes out of us? What we say? In other words, words are very, very powerful. Where there is gossip, where there is division, where there is jealousy, the words we use, we can't ever get back. We are like God. Our words have creative power. Now, we are not God. God creates called ex nihilo, out of nothing in the Hebrew. We can't create out of nothing. But we can definitely create out of something, can't we? Look around you. What man is, we've created a lot of things out of something that God made. Whereas we can create some very dangerous things with our mouth. Most of the gifts of the Spirit actually involve the tongue. Words of wisdom. Words of knowledge. Words of prophecy. Speaking in tongues, the interpretation of tongues. I think it's kind of cool that a lot of the gifts of the Spirit involve the tongue. In other words, who do we want taming our tongue? Hell or the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit wants to use our tongue. Isaiah chapter 6, he's beginning his ministry. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. We know that verse, right? The seraphim are singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty and these great things. And then we find out that this angel takes a coal off of the altar and he burns 
the kneecap of Isaiah. Is that right? Where does he put the coal from the altar? Do you think that was by accident? By design? I think so. That God is after your words. The Holy Spirit is after your words. Isaiah's tongue was burned. It was tamed by the very fire of God itself. He tames the tongue. When you become that cleansed and purified vessel, that fire then can begin to flow out of you through others. Now here's the the truth of the matter. There are a good number of people who don't mind being touched by the fire as long as it's containable or controllable, as long as they can determine its heat and its intensity. We want to control the thermostat. We want to kind of regulate it. It's the difference in being warmed by the sun versus jumping into the sun. It's the difference between setting around the campfire and setting in the campfire. You hear me? In other words, a mark of your own spiritual maturity is to not just be warmed by the fire, but to jump into the fire. That when a fiery ordeal comes, and they will, how many of you want right now? Have you been, how many of you have been in one? If you're not, you're going to have another one. Hallelujah. Thank you, Kim, church, and I'd be encouraged. If you're not in a fiery ordeal right now, listen, one is waiting on you. And when it comes, say, thank you, Lord. I want to jump right into it. And Lord, do whatever work needs to be done. Because God will never be satisfied just to touch you. He desires to consume you, to transform you. The Bible says from glory to glory. Who likes that passage? I want to be transformed from glory to glory. Oh, what's the catch? What precedes that glory? Fire. Fire changes the landscape of your heart to make you a habitation for the glory of God. What was that thing that enabled the apostle Paul after being drug out and beat and left half dead most of the time to get back up and go straight back? The glory of God. The power of God to walk straight back into the affliction because God is in you. God will never be satisfied with just a little of you. And you can just have a little of him but he will never be satisfied with just a little of you. He's a pursuing, jealous God, and he loves you and wants your capacity and my capacity to be stretched and to grow to contain more of him. The last thing, fire through you. Fire through you. It's not just about us. You realize that, right? As a born-again Christian, those of us who seek to be fully devoted followers of Christ, that's why you're here on a Wednesday night. You didn't come here to have your ears tickled, did you? You didn't come here to just get told what you wanted to hear. You came for truth. I came for truth. Lord, I want your truth. Even though it's difficult to hear, I really desire your truth, Lord. To do a work inside of me so we can be useful in the kingdom of God. That it was said of David, James preached an incredible message in Acts chapter 13. And he's, and he's preaching he, and, he, and he gets to the point of talking about David. He says, and David, His body was laid in the dirt and it decayed. But he fulfilled his purpose in his generation. I don't know about you, but that passage 
is an anchor in my life. Lord, I want to fulfill my purpose in my generation. There's going to come a time when this stuff on me called flesh is going to decay in the ground. But Lord, I want to fulfill my purpose in my generation. Lord, you determine what that purpose is. And I want to fulfill it in my family, in my home, in my life for the kingdom of God. And that purpose is made manifest as the fire of God begins then to flow through you. The example of Jeremiah is a profound example. Jeremiah the prophet didn't have the most enviable job in the world. It was the latter days of the southern kingdom of Israel. They experienced a short revival under a young king by the name of Josiah. But their sin and iniquity up to that point had sealed their destiny. That they would be carried away into exile by Babylon. There was a short revival. Josiah would die. The people would fall back into sin. God touched Jeremiah and said, Jeremiah, I want you to, I want you to tell my people the truth. How many of you know people don't like the truth oftentimes? And Jeremiah was one. I don't wish the life of Jeremiah on any of us here. He had it really tough. He was attacked by his own brothers. He was beaten and put into stocks by a priest and a false prophet. He was imprisoned by the king. He was threatened with death. He was thrown into a cistern and left there to die by Judah's officials. He was opposed by false prophets. God made a promise to Jeremiah and said, don't worry, they're not going to be able to destroy you. But he had it really tough. He had it way tougher than most of us will ever have in our entire life. And Jeremiah records this in Jeremiah chapter 20. I love the honesty with God that Jeremiah has. You know, you can talk to God real. You know, God can handle your complaints. Don't clothe dishonesty in reverence. Don't clothe dishonesty in reverence. In other words, not being open and real with God is not reverent. Be honest with him. Tell him how you feel. Tell him how you really feel. Do you think God can handle how you really feel? Because he already knows it. So go ahead and communicate it. When you read through the book of Jeremiah, you read through the book of Lamentations, you really find some gritty conversations. And God can handle that. Listen to this in Jeremiah 20. He says, you deceived me, Lord. And I was deceived. You overpowered me and I and prevailed. I am ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Whenever I speak, I cry out proclaiming violence and destruction. So the word of the Lord has brought me insult and reproach all day long. Sounds like gloom, despair, agony on me, deep, dark depression and excessive misery. If I didn't have bad luck, I wouldn't have any luck at all. Gloom, despair, agony on me. Except when most of us sing that song, we don't really mean it. He could probably justify himself singing this song. He said, man, God, you've made it bad on me. Verse nine, but if I say I will not mention his word or speak anymore in his name, look at this. His word is in my heart like a fire. A fire shut up in my bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. That's grace, brothers and sisters. That when we are intentional, when I am intentional 
about stoking the fire of God in my life. It will burn with such intensity and such power in the most difficult situations when everything in your flesh, everything in your natural mind wants to run away from the situation, something will rise up inside of you, the fire of God that is encased in this very bone marrow. And I cannot help but serving God. That's grace. That's what Paul learned when he experienced the fire of God in his life and said, Lord, in my weakness, your strength is perfected. You see, that's what the fire of God is all about. 